Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors at Trinity. You probably know Trinity is one church in four different locations around the Chicago area. And I get the privilege of going to all four of them, right? Because no, none of them wants me there all the time. So uh, it's, uh, it's really kind of fun being here with you this morning. And whenever I get a chance to do that, I always want to bring greetings from our other three campuses. Everybody says hello. And uh, we are in this series, we're just starting it this week, uh, and, and we're calling it You Pick. Now, um, the way it normally works is the pastors, uh, which includes Dave and me and the pastors from the other sites, and a few other people on staff, we kind of sit down and we decide what our themes are going to be for worship. Now, we try to do that based on um, what we think people need to hear, what we think people want to hear, et cetera, but maybe we don't always get that right. So we thought this year would be kind of fun during June to let you guys pick what we were going to talk about. And so on Easter Sunday, if you were with us, you may remember, we gave you a list of about, I think it was 15, wasn't it, Dave, 15 different things and said, you, you tell us what you want us to preach about. And, uh, and it was really kind of cool because um, at all four of our sites, there were four of those things uh, that were like the top picks, okay? Now, the, the first pick at every single one of our four sites, it's kind of interesting, the first pick at every one of our four sites was this idea of Democrats and Republicans and the, and, and the, the strife and the conflict that seems to be going on in our country and, uh, and how it is that we as Christians are, are supposed to negotiate our way through that. And uh, we thought that was such a big topic that we're going to do a whole series on it. So I'm not going to talk about that this morning. In fact, the month of July is going to be this series that we're calling One Nation Under God, question mark. And we're going to take that one topic that you guys picked as the most important topic, and we're going to spend the whole month of July uh, looking at that together. So that should be kind of cool. But the second largest topic uh, out there, we're going to address this week, and it was this idea, how do I know God's will for my life. How do I know God's will for me? Can I really know what God's will for my life is? What, what do I do to discover what God's will for my life is? That, that one was the second most popular one that you guys picked. And so that's what I get to talk with you about this morning. Uh, but before um, we really get into that, I, I have a picture for you guys that I want to share. Check that out. Now, you may recognize the people in that picture. First of all, I'm the guy on the left, but there right in the middle and then next to him are Dave and Gretchen McGinley. And uh, uh, just in case they didn't remember their names, we gave them shirts with it on. No, um, actually, I want to tell you a little bit about this. This was something that they call call night at the seminary. See, when you get, in, when you get close to graduating from the seminary, they, there's this service they call call night, and they tell you what church you are going to go serve at. And, uh, and I had gone down there for call night down in St. Louis where, where these guys went to seminary. I'd gone down there because our congregation, Trinity, believed that it was God's will that Dave and Gretchen come to Trinity, specifically to Trinity Galewood, uh, to be the site pastor here. That's what we believed God's will was. And that's what you guys believed God's will was too, right? 
Yeah, yeah, Dave's laughing. There's a much bigger story here. Maybe he'll tell you sometime, right? But yeah, that's what they believe too. They believe that that was God's will as well, that God's plan for their life was that they come here to Chicago and, and help us um, here at this site at Trinity Galewood. Um, and, and they believe that was God's will for life. But here's the interesting thing. There were some other churches that believed we were wrong. They believed it was God's will for Dave and Gretchen to go to their church. And there were some officials in our synod and at the seminary that believed those things too. And so honestly, when I went down there that night, I was pretty sure that I was going to need those jerseys to give them and welcome them to Trinity. But I was a little nervous because I wasn't sure exactly what was going to happen. Now, now see, here's, here's the problem. What if we were wrong? What if God's plan for their life was this church in Texas that really wanted them really bad and their district president really wanted them really bad. What, what if they were actually right and we were wrong and I just called in some favors from my friends and kind of subverted what I thought God's will was. You see, here's, here's the problem. When we start to talk about God's will for our lives, there's kind of a, a standard way we look at it and, it and it goes something like this, that that when it comes to the little choices I make every day, God doesn't really have a plan for that. Like, like whether I stop at Parkies or Gene and Jude's for hot dogs on my way home today. God doesn't really care um, which of those two I do. Now, Gene and Jude's is my favorite, so that's probably where I'll go. That's a little more out of the way than Parkies. But anyway, you know, God doesn't, God doesn't care uh, about those little choices I make every day. But when it comes to the big choices in my life, the, the big turns I've got to make in my life, like, like, do I keep this job or do I start looking for a new job? Or do I continue to date this person and maybe end up marrying them or not? Or, or, or what college am I going to go to? Or, or um, you know, just some of those big decisions in life. What we typically think is now God does have a plan for those, right? That, that when I was born, God kind of knew this is the career I want for you. And this is the person I want for you to marry. And, 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 uh, and this is where I want you to live. That God had that plan in our job in life is to do the best we can to figure out that plan for our lives. But of course, the problem comes in is, well, what if we take a wrong turn? And God has to do some recalculating. And you guys know who John Williams is? He was a, a radio personality on WGN here in Chicago. I don't know if he's still on the radio or not. I don't really, I listen to sports radio most of the time now. But anyway, he, he, I remember when they first started coming out with GPS units in cars. Okay, um, they didn't used to have those in there. Those of you that are younger, that's a new thing. You used to have to have a paper map that you had to look at. All right, all right. But uh, but but when they first coming out with those, he he was on the radio once and he was talking about how he had borrowed his brother's car. Actually, was taking his brother and his family to the airport and leaving them there, and was going to use their car for the week. And his brother had this new GPS thing, and he showed him. He put in directions, you know, how to get to Midway Airport, and and sure enough told him exactly how to get to Midway, and he dropped him off. And then he started coming home, and he realized he didn't know how to change the direction. So the whole way he's driving home, the thing kept recalculating, and then turn around here, and then he wouldn't do it. And it was recalculating, and then turn around here, and he wouldn't do it. And he said the whole way home, this thing just kept recalculating and trying to very patiently tell him, no, turn around, turn around, turn around. He said he was expecting at one point, all of a sudden it was going to go, you dummy, start listening to me, right? So is that how it works in our life, that... That, 
that God does have this plan for those big moments in our lives. And if we take a wrong turn, he recalculates and he tries uh, to get us back on the track. And eventually he's kind of kind of shake us and go, you dummy, you're not listening to me. Or is there something else going on? You see, when I was in high school, I knew beyond a doubt what God's plan for my life was. My pastor at my church had told me that he thought God wanted me to be a pastor, and I thought he was wrong. I, I thought he wanted me to be a school teacher. And, and so I had done a lot of praying and a lot of soul searching and a lot of talking to people that were important in my life. And I believed I knew beyond a doubt God's plan for me was that I was going to go to the University of Illinois and I was going to become a public school teacher. That's what I was going to do. And somehow I ended up at Concordia University instead of the University of Illinois. And, uh, and, but I was still going to be a public school teacher until they told me that I could save $500 a quarter if I was just in the Lutheran school preparation track. And I was like, well, 500 bucks is 500 bucks. That's cool. I can always do what God wants me to do later, right? And, and all of a sudden I ended up teaching in this Lutheran school. And then people started telling me uh, that, that they thought I should go to seminary. And I was like, no, no, no. God's plan is that I be a public, oh no, parochial school. You can see it's starting to get confusing, right? And, and eventually I, I did end up at the seminary to be a pastor, which was not what I thought God's plan was, but all of a sudden there I was. And, and then I was at this church out in Elgin. It was, a, it was a mission church out there. And I had had uh, calls from other churches, seven of them in two years. And uh, these other churches kept coming and saying, no, we think God's will is you come here. And we kept saying no. And finally, my wife and I decided, no, we know beyond a doubt God wants us here in Elgin. That's God's plan. And we're not going to even talk to other churches. And a year later, I was senior pastor at Trinity in Lyle. You see, there were all these times in my life where I thought I knew God's will, and I thought I was doing my best to figure out what God's will was, and I kept getting it wrong. I was reading a book, Getting Ready uh, for This Sermon This Morning, uh, by a guy named uh, Jerry Sitzer, and uh, this is what he wrote. He wrote, it occurred to me a few years ago that either I had developed the bad habit of missing the will of God for my life, or I had a mistaken notion of what God's will was and is, and boy, could I relate to that when I read that. Because if I, as I look back on my life, honestly, there have been so many times where I thought I had God's will nailed, and either I missed God's will or I was doing something wrong. You see, there's something wrong with this idea, and, and Jerry in his book points it out. There's something fundamentally flawed with this idea that God has one path for our life. And that God really only cares about those big decisions in our life. And he really questions. He says, look through the Bible. And he says, I dare you to tell me, where in the Bible does it tell you that God has that one path or that one plan for your life? Now, if you've been hanging around church for very long, you may be thinking right now of this verse. This is from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord plans to give you hope in a future. How many of you were thinking of that verse? Yeah, there were a few. I saw it. Yeah, there's, yeah. But, but see, here's the problem with that verse, because that seems to say the opposite of what I just said. That seems to say that God does have a plan for our life. But when you actually look at this verse, here's the verse right before it. This is Jeremiah 29, 10. And God is speaking to his people, not to an individual now. He's speaking to a whole group of people, the children of Israel. And he says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back. For I know the plans for you, 
I have for you, says the Lord. That's the next verse then. You see, what it's talking about is it's talking not to an individual about God's plan for that individual's life. It's talking to a people group, the children of Israel, who were slaves, basically. They were, they were in exile in Babylon. And, uh, and what God was saying to them is, I do still have a plan for you as a people. But look at what it says. He says, in 70 years, I'm going to come rescue you. Do you know what the average life expectancy was then? Somewhere between 40 and 50. In other words, what he's saying to them is, look, you guys are going to die there, and maybe your children are going to die there too, but someday, maybe for your grandchildren, I'm going to actually bring them back. It's a heck of a plan, isn't it? See, this verse isn't really saying that God has an individual plan for, for each of our lives, um, which is why it is kind of ironic that that, that picture I showed before, that's actually up in my office. Somebody gave that to me. It's kind of like, a, here, God's got a plan for you, Mark. I'm not so sure. Here's, here's another verse. This is from uh, the book of James. He says this, now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow, God says. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Indeed, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In other words, what what James is saying is so many of us think we have a plan for our life. And God sits there and goes, man, your life's so short. How, How do you even have a plan for that? That's the right uplifting message on this beautiful Sunday morning, isn't it? So, so if I'm right, that, that the Bible does not teach that there's this one perfect plan that God has for your life, that he decides when you're born, and it's, it's your job the rest of your life to do your best to find that path and stay on it, then, then does God just not have a plan for your life? Does God not have God's will for your life? No. In fact, the Bible does say a lot about us finding God's will for our lives. And, and I want to take the rest of the time I have with you today to, to maybe give you a different view of this whole subject than, than you might have thought or maybe even that you might have voted when you selected this on Easter Sunday. We heard these words from Jesus just a little bit ago. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. He says, seek first his, he's talking about his father's, God, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what does Jesus mean when he says, seek first his kingdom? Well, if you've studied anything about the life of Jesus, you know that there were a couple of different kinds of people that Jesus interacted with when he was here on this earth. And one set was the pastors, the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees they're referred to in scripture. And they were people that in some ways were very, very close to God. I mean, they worked for God full time. They, they hung out in God's house in the temple. They spent their lives studying God's word and trying to apply it to the smallest details of their life. At one point, Jesus even points out to them that he said, like, you even tithe, like, if somebody gives you some spices to use for your dinner, you say thank you, and you take 10%, and you give it. You, you tithe in the tiniest details, he said. And, and there was another group of people, and they were 
tax collectors and prostitutes and, and other people that were viewed as outcasts by society, as they were viewed as the big sinners of the day. Now, if you study Jesus' life, it's interesting because he treats these two groups very different and he treats them maybe the opposite as you would expect. His harshest criticism is for the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He says that he calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, woe to you, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you teachers of the law. Jesus is hard on them. But on the other hand, the tax collectors and the sinners, the people that would have been viewed in society as very, very far from God, and in reality, a lot of them were. Jesus, Jesus has words of love and grace and forgiveness for them. In fact, you may remember one of the biggest things the Pharisees complained about was that Jesus spent so much time with these sinners. Now, why is that? See, for Jesus, it wasn't how close or how far from God you are that was important. It was which way were you pointing? What was your orientation? For the Pharisees who, again, seemed to be very close to God, the reality was they were not seeking God's kingdom. They were seeking a kingdom for themselves. And as a result, they were, they were really pointed very away from God, even though they were close to him. But for those tax collectors and those sinners, those, the prostitutes, the, 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 the downcast in society, they were the ones that were hungry and thirsty for something else in their lives. And even though they were far from God, they were pointed in the right direction. So here's my question for you this morning. Which direction are you pointed? Jesus says that if we want to seek God's will for our life, the place it starts is looking at your orientation. Which way are you pointed? Are you seeking God in your life? Are you seeking his kingdom and his righteousness in your life? Or are, are you like the Pharisees, more worried about your own kingdom? Now, I can tell you honestly, some days I'm like this and some days I'm like that. Maybe some minutes I'm like this, some minutes I'm like that. But Jesus says if we want to understand his will for our lives, the first thing we need to look at is, is which way are we pointing? What's our orientation? What's our direction? Are we moving closer to him every day? Are we seeking to look, live, and love more like Jesus as we say it here at Trinity? Or are we really more worried about what's best for me? In Romans, Paul put it this way. He said this. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Folks, what Paul is envisioning here when we look for God's will for our life is not just those four or five big decisions in our life that we work hard to seek God's will. He's envisioning something very different. He's envisioning a, a daily occurrence where in every little minute of our lives, we're asking, what's God's will for me here? You know, what, what's God's will for what I have to eat today 
and what it's going to do to my body and my ability to serve him? What's, what's God's will for, for me in my job today? Am I, going to, am, I, am I going to make the right decision, even if it's the hard one at work today, because I know it's the one that God would want me to do? What's, what, what's God's will for my life as I interact with people around me? Do I see interactions with others as a chance for them to serve me and help me and listen to me? Or do I see interactions with others as my chance to serve them, to listen to them, to share God's love with them? See, the fact is, seeking God's will for our life isn't something we do four or five big moments in our life. Paul says it's something we do every single day of our lives. As in little ways, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. As in little ways, we try to let God's word and God's will transform our minds so that the decisions we make each day are in line with God's plan for me in those little decisions each moment. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Paul says. Then you'll know what God's will is. I love it. There's an Old Testament verse that says a very similar thing. It's in the book of Jeremiah. And God says, this is what's going to happen when I come. This is what's going to happen when I'm with my people. He says, my, my people, this promise, this covenant I've made with my people is going to be so powerful and so important in their lives that, that their law, my law will be written on their hearts. He goes on and says, you won't have to listen to sermons. That's not exactly the way he says it. He says, you won't have to teach one another, right? Because you'll already know it. It'll be written on our hearts. And that's what we strive for. That's what we long for, isn't it? That moment where in every little decision, every day of my life, I just kind of automatically do what God wants me to do. What his plan for that moment would be. And then there's this cool thing that Jesus says happens when we do that. He says, then, then you don't have to worry about tomorrow. That's hard, isn't it? He says, you know what? Tomorrow's going to have enough problems. There's going to be enough opportunities for you tomorrow to worry about what my will is for tomorrow. For today, let's just focus on today. But here's what I want you to think about. Who is it exactly that's telling you don't worry about tomorrow? I mean, if, uh, if I sit down with uh, my financial advisor and he goes, hey, you know what? Don't, don't worry about tomorrow, you know? Don't look at your bank balance. That's not important. I don't think I'm going to have a lot of confidence in that, right? <laughs> or, uh, or even if I'm sitting with my wife, who I know loves me and cares for me, and, uh, and I say, well, you know, we, we're in our 60s now. We better start talking about retirement. She's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Your dad never made it to retirement. I'm not sure you're going to make it either. I wouldn't worry about that, Mark, right? <laughs> no, but I want you to think about who it is that's telling you, don't worry about tomorrow. He's the God that created this universe. We just talked about that in Job, didn't we? A, a God that has our lives in his hands and is powerful and all-knowing. He, he's a God that sent his son Jesus into this world to give his life for you. He's, he, he's, a, he's a God who, as that Jesus, came into this world and, and, and did pay attention to people who are far from God and he loved them and he cared for them and, and as messy as that was and as, a, as bad a reputation as that gave him with the Pharisees and the, and the other religious leaders, he was there for people. He, he, was, he was 
a, a guy that always was seeking God's will for his life in every single interaction. In fact, there were a number of times where Jesus was somewhere and people were like, what are you doing here? And he's like, didn't you know I'd be doing my father's will? He's a God who gave his life on the cross outside of Jerusalem. He paid the price for our sins and he did that for you. He did that knowing that you were going to be you and, and that you were going to live your life at this time and in this place in his universe. And he's the God that, that rose from the dead to conquer sin and death so that, so that our future is secure. Our ultimate future, our ultimate tomorrow is in heaven with him, with his will written on our hearts so that each and every one of us is doing exactly his will for our lives every single moment. Doesn't that sound awesome? So when that guy says, don't worry about tomorrow, okay, I can, I can do that. At least I can try. I just love this idea that we don't have to worry about these big choices in our lives. My son is so excited that I'm about to use this illustration in my sermon. My son is kind of a, uh, um, he, I, he, I will say this lovingly, he's a geek. And he would admit that, right? He's, uh, he's working on his PhD at the University of Illinois in theoretical mathematics. So that tells you a little bit about my son. But, uh, but uh, he, he told me about this years ago and I called him this week and I'm like, dude, what was that thing about the tiger in the door? Because I want to use it in the sermon. He's like, really? That's cool. No, see, there's this logic, um, this logic uh, game that you can play, this logic problem that, uh, that there's, it's called the unexpected tiger. Any of you ever hear this? All right. So it's called the unexpected tiger. And it goes like this. This guy was uh, arrested for theft um, and he was put in jail and the king in this faraway land decided to do a, kind of an interesting punishment in his case. And he told him, I'm going to put you in a room with six doors and behind one of those doors is an unexpected tiger. And uh, you have to open the doors in order. You have to start with door number one and open it, then door number two, all the way to door number six. And, and, if, and if you can survive the unexpected tiger, you can go free. And so the guy starts thinking, and he's like, okay, well, I've got to open the doors in order. So if I open doors one through five, and he put the do tiger behind door number six, it won't be unexpected, will it? Because I'll be expecting it's there, because I know it's not behind any of the other doors. So the unexpected tiger cannot be behind door number six, because then it wouldn't be unexpected. He said, by the same token, if I know it's not behind door number six and I open doors one, two, three, four, and I get to door five, well, I know it'll have to be there because it can't be behind door number six, so it'll have to be there and then it won't be unexpected. So it can't be behind door number five. And you see where this is going, each door until he finally says, well, I, no matter what door I open, it's going to be expected. So it can't be unexpected. There must be no tiger. So the king is just messing with me. And so he opens the first door and the tiger unexpectedly jumps out and kills him. <laughs> And, uh, and of course, it's a logic problem. You're supposed to go, okay, there was a flaw in his logic somewhere. I can't quite figure out where it is. And it, this is where my head explodes and my son just laughs at me, right? But, but see, I think a lot of people go through life and they kind of feel like that's what God is doing to them. That, that God has given them, you know, he's got, I got one right choice for you in your life when it comes to those big decisions in your life. And by the way, you're going to have to use your logic and you're going to have to figure this out. And I'm not going to give you too many hints and clues. And you're just kind of on your own. And if you don't quite get it right, yeah, I won't abandon you. But, you know, your life's not going to be as cool as it would have been if you had just followed my will, right? But, but, but think about the freedom that we have when, when we know that we have a God that says to us, no, no. I don't have that one specific plan for your life. There isn't just one 
great career for you. There, there's four or five things you could do with your life and they would all be awesome. Now, by the way, they have to be in line with God's ultimate will, right? Um, I'm pretty sure meth dealer would not be one of those on that list, right? But think how freeing it is for, for me to sit here and go, you know, whether I was a Lutheran school teacher or whether I was a Lutheran pastor, if I had been a public school teacher, God didn't care. But if in each one of those, each day, I was seeking his will in each little decision, and I was seeking to just live my life according to his plan in that moment, I'd be all right. Or, or think about the freedom it gives you when, you know, there isn't that one perfect person out there for you to marry. And if you don't find that person, God is going to go, okay, you made your choice. You're kind of on your own now, right? No. Then again, if every day I see my marriage as an opportunity to serve others the way Jesus has served me. Or, or, or think of just the idea of like where you live or what house you live in, things like that. Again, I think sometimes we put so much pressure and it's like, God, I wanna know, come on, help me pick the exact right one. And God is up there going, don't worry about it. I'm gonna be with you no matter what house you live in. It's incredibly freeing, isn't it? Now, I was joking a little bit before, but the fact is, um, I'm 61 this year and my wife is just a little older than that. And, uh, and we are starting to talk about retirement. And uh, we are starting to figure out what are we going to do when that time comes and, uh, you know, where are we going to live and stuff like that. And, and we are doing some things like sitting with the financial advisor to make sure that the 401k is going to be there and it's what we thought it was going to be, right? But, but it's kind of funny because more and more people are starting to ask me, you know, they're saying things like, so, you better going to move when you retire? You going to get out of the tax-happy Illinois and go somewhere else? Or, and we go, I, I don't know, we haven't figured that out yet. And, and people are a little like, Really? Shouldn't you have a plan for that? Doesn't God have a plan for that? We're kind of like, I, I don't know. It, it's a delicate balance to walk, isn't it? But God says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't, d d don't worry that somehow you've missed my plan for your life. But today, do what you can do to live out my will for your life right here, right now. And let me take care of the rest of that. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, there would be a certain amount of comfort if the moment we were born, you would hand us the instruction manual, you would give us the lifetime GPS, and that you would just in every moment of every day and in every big and small decision tell us exactly what you want us to do. Uh, but you don't do that, Lord. And, and you've given us this thing called free will and you've, and you've given us this amazing world to live in. And you've given us a lot of freedom in our lives. But Lord, you do tell us, seek first your kingdom. To turn our attention, our orientation, our lives to you. And to let your word transform our hearts so that in each moment we know what your will is. It's to love others, to consider others more important than ourselves, to, to serve others the way you have served us, to, to be patient with others, to be kind, to be generous, and to do all those things in response to your love in our lives. And Lord, you've promised us if we do that, and even when we fail to do that, you're going to forgive us, but you promise your presence 
and you promise our future is in your hands. Lord, thank you for that gift. And may I say today, in everything I do, your will be done. Amen.